You know, every time I speak, I want the truth to come out. You know what I'm saying? Every time I speak, I want to shiver. You know, I don't want them to be like, they know what I'm going to say because it's polite. They know what I'm going to say. And even if I get in trouble, you know what I'm saying? That ain't that what we're supposed to do? It's, I'm not saying I'm going to rule the world or I'm going to change the world, but I guarantee that I will spark the, the, the brain that will change the world. Personal responsibility, political accountability, and corporate culpability. Get up, get up, get up, get up, get up, get up, get up. We must eliminate poverty. I don't care what color the person or child. Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates, along with special guest co-host Latrice Ross, and welcome to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. We are the return of intelligent radio as we ensure the free flow of opinions and push the envelope on the questions America's afraid to ask in the mainstream media. Good morning, Latrice. Glad to have you back with me as you are almost pulling double duty. You're my co-host and really a guest on this morning's show. Uh, we also have a special guest returning. But if you will, Queen, say hello to the intellectual outcasts that are now called the audience that are out there. And give people a little bit of your background before we introduce our special guest. Sure. Good morning. I'm, I'm Latrice Ross. I am a diversity, equity, and inclusion consultant. Um, happy to be uh, with Montoya again this morning and just excited to dive into the conversation. Now, sounds good. Our special guest, um, Yolanda Hughes, you've been with us one time before on a dynamic show we did a few years ago uh, in the STEM field, if I recall correctly. But if you will, let them know, the intellectual outcast, let them know a little bit about who you are from what I understand. You are a, I think I'm saying this right, transformational uh, consultant uh, for corporate America or something to that degree. But if you will, you can give them a little more details. And thank you, Queen, for being with us this morning. Um, absolutely. Thank you for having me. Um, my name is Yolanda Hughes. I'm a Southern girl by life. I was born and raised in Alabama. I've been in Georgia since the mid-90s. I've also been a social and racial justice warrior since I was 10. That's just how my parents raised us, to always be in the fight, right? Um, I actively participated in the George Floyd protest. It means I was out there. <laughs> Uh, first time in my life I've ever done that, but that was really interesting. I've also been a part of corporate America for over 38 years, so I know how they work way too too well, right? Um, during the height of George Floyd protests, I actually did several DEIB workshops with corporate America to listen to 
what they thought they wanted to hear and to find out what they were actually doing, right? Um, I'm excited to be here this morning. I'm excited about our topic. Patrice and I go back a ways. <laughs> so this is something that we probably be on the phone talking about anyway. So happy to dive in. No, absolutely. Um, go ahead and let the cat out the bag for those who may not have seen the promotions. We just promoted it for a couple of days here. Um, this morning's discussion question, after George Floyd, has corporate America kept its promise to black Americans? After George Floyd, has corporate America kept its promise to black Americans? If you're a first-time listener, again, I go by the name Black Socrates. like to do our show in the form of a question, and it's kind of like taking the Socratic method to figuring out, asking the right questions, can we find the answers, if you will. And it was like, you know, cool little time. It's been a couple years, unfortunately, since the loss of George Floyd and the uproar that it caused around the country, um, you know, unfortunately during the pandemic and all of that nature. So we all vividly remember that time. Um, but along with, you know, I would say to our surprise with the, in a sense, the protests, as you hear Yolanda say, hey, first time in her life being out there in actual in some of the protests, if you will. Um, again, they were around the country, something that we hadn't really seen before for it breaking out that far. But during that time, corporate America seemed to be stepping up and saying, hey, we want to assist and do something about systemic racism, if you will. And it was, you know, the unfortunate death of George Floyd that was the catalyst, again, not only for the protest, but many of these major companies putting out there, hey, we want to figure out what we can do about it. And from what we could gather, and there was articles done on this, about $50 billion was raised, you know, if you will. Um, uh, at least that's what, you know, was reported. And now it's a two-year mark. Let's, let's do a, a progress report, if you will. But before we get into the details of the progress report, I want to start the way we typically start. So, Latrice, you know, you've done this before with us plenty of times. So when you heard me, well, actually, you gave me the name for this show. Has Corporate America Kept This Promise to Black Americans After George Floyd? I've kind of flipped it in and out and around, if you will. Um, but you said, you know, you saw that name for an article. Let's say we, I said, well, let's use that for our show. And so you were like, yes. Um, if you can recall, you know, in saying, hey, let's let's use this question, what was the first thought that maybe crossed your mind after we got the phone and say, all right, we're going to deal with this? What do you recall what your first thought may have been um, in, in hearing the question, using, using that particular question, I should say? Hell no, they haven't, um, <laughs> was sort of the first thought that ran through my mind. And um, while there are a few, and I mean very few exceptions to that, the vast majority of corporate America has moved on. Um, and to me, that needs to be, they need to be held accountable for the promises that they made. Oh, fair enough, fair enough. Yolanda, I'll throw that same question to you. Um, you know, I asked you to come on this show. You heard the question, has corporate America kept its promise to black Americans after George Floyd, if you will? What? Do you recall what popped in your head when you heard that was going to be the show title, specifically that question? Well, totally, to be totally honest, I said, yes, <laughs> have the discussion, right? I'm, I'm in corporate America, right? I've been in technology and engineering for over 38 years, right? So I watch the games, I see the games, I'm a part of the games. And as Latrice said, no, they haven't kept it, right? They made a bunch of promises started a bunch of stuff up within corporations. They gave to NAACP, Urban League, 
Black Lives Matter. You know, they they did the the let me show that I'm doing something right thing like that. But internally in these corporations, not much has changed at all, at all. May have gotten worse as a matter of fact. The company that I'm at right now, I think I think we we're going backwards rather than forward. Yeah, tough to tough to hear that to a degree. We um, just what you would hope would be, in a sense, assume natural progress um, as, as in a sense, as the country moves forward, then, you know, you highlight something of that nature. And we're going to play some cuts uh, from some of the CEOs, a few of the black CEOs who voiced their, you know, their voices um, during the George Floyd period and didn't kind of just what's been happening. And um, just to be fair for anybody out there listening, uh, we're definitely going to open with this idea, if you will, of a report card from these two esteemed sisters who who are vividly, specifically in this space, being able to really give an assessment from their purview, if you will. So we will be opening with that. But as this show goes on, we want to really get, I would like to, in a sense, take this report card and eventually move into what are the steps for someone who still wants to, in a sense, take that route to go into corporate America, find a, if you will, a high income job and be successful. Somebody, you know, for some black talent there that says, I want to be the CEO and, you know, obviously could be the CEO of their own company. But if, even if it's just moving up the corporate ladder, we definitely want to spend a lot of the show on that as well. So uh, again, we're not going to spend the entire show ranting and raving about what corporate America has or has not done, but it is necessary to do a report card to, in a sense, put on notice, you know, for whatever level we can in the media, that there is some accountability. We are paying attention because, as Latrice said, a lot of and what I'm hearing from both of these sisters is there was a lot of lip service given, and if we don't do anything or take a report or look at it, then they get to get away with it, in my eyes, scot-free, if that is the case. But we are up against the break. We'll be right back. Listening to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. All I ask is that you think. I'll go ahead and give out the number for anybody that wants to get in on this conversation. 646-787-1691. You will need to press 1 to let us know you want to speak. We'll be right back. Hey, Smithoff. Where you find that Prince sign of the Times on vinyl at? Real talk, you got a dope vinyl collection. What, you been collecting them, like, over the years or something? No, actually, I just started my collection. But my man Tobago over at DBS Sounds, he be hooking me up. You remember DBS Sounds? On the south side? They still around? I figured most of the record stores in Atlanta be closed by now. Hey, vinyl is the new wave, and DBS Sounds got the best collection in town. You can still go there and flip through vinyl. They still got CDs and mixtapes, too. Let me check the IG page at DBS Sounds ATL. They still be having artists in stores and everything. Hey, you want to run by there? Hey, man, I ain't got time right now. I got to go back to Cali tomorrow, but I might have to catch them next time. I'm in. Oh, nah, you good. Even when you get home, you can just shop at their online store at dbssounds.com. They'll ship directly to you anywhere in the country. Matter of fact, jump on dbssounds.com on your phone and order straight from there. Word? Hey, I'm about to get my music game up. Hey, what's their address? In case I get a chance to swing by there, I'm, I'm going to pick up that new Kendra Lamar CD. Oh, they at 6604 Highway 85, Riverdale, Georgia. Bet. Now with a striking call for change from one of America's top CEOs. 
G. Day Zeitlin is one of the few black executives running a Fortune 500 company, and we're going to speak with him live in a moment after TJ Holmes takes a closer look at the deeply personal message Zeitlin shared with his company and the country. Hey, TJ. Hey, good morning to you again, George. Yes, we wanted to talk to the black CEO of a Fortune 500 company. That's 500 companies. We had four options. There are only four. It's that type of disparity and inequity that touches so many parts of society, a system that is also the same system that has people marching in the streets right now. And G. Day Zeitlin is one CEO who's speaking to his employees about it. An emotional message from G. Day Zeitlin, the CEO and chairman of Tapestry, the company behind fashion brands Coach, Kate Spade, and Stuart Wiseman. Addressing the protest and vandalizing of their New York City stores, in a letter to thousands of employees, he writes, I sat down several times to write this letter, but stopped each time, my eyes welling up with tears. This is personal. Going on to say, we can replace our windows and handbags, but we cannot bring back George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, Eric Garner, Trayvon Martin, Emmett Till, and too many others. Each of these black lives matter. Zeitlin is a minority in society, a downright rarity in business, one of only four black Fortune 500 CEOs. In his letter, Zeitlin draws on his experience as a young black man traveling to South Africa during apartheid. What began as a political gathering quickly changed when the church was surrounded by armored vehicles, he writes. The orders over bullhorns turned into tear gas and eventually rubber bullets. The lessons learned that summer have remained with me for a lifetime. Also invoking Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. Adding, almost 60 years have passed, yet America is still struggling to solve a 400-year-old problem. We cannot leave that task to others. Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates, along with special guest co-host Latrice Ross. This morning's discussion question, after George Floyd has... Corporate America kept its promise to black Americans. A special guest is Yolanda Hughes, transformational consultant. Um, we hear a cut reminding of, us of, again, the turmoil and the uproars, uh, the, the one of four, if you will, black CEOs in Fortune 500 companies, which comes out to – I think 0.008%, if you will, uh, something to that degree um, as far as the number of black CEOs. If that number alone doesn't point to, in a sense, the issue, and Yolanda, we'll start with you as you highlighted before the break, uh, in your eyes, a couple years later, after a bunch of concern and promises from corporate America, you, you feel like you're in a space where, um, in a sense, things have went backwards, and the reality is, oh, even the CEO specifically, at one time there were used to be six um, <laughs> CEOs, if you will, and now there are four. So kind of speaking to your point, um, but if you will, I want to kind of start, if I can kind of have both of you, um, Yolanda and Latrice, kind of refrain from the promises being made, both of you specifically being within corporate America in an area where, based on your jobs, if you will, you are going to be asked to assist with said efforts, right? You get the pledges for money going to the different groups. Some some companies vow to make changes within their own companies, if you will. And so I assume 
that there was a little skepticism, but at the same time, in your position, I'm pretty sure there was a little hope that, hey, it's sad that it took a George Floyd situation to even, in a sense, start this concern. But both of you, from what I understand, have been relatively in this space anyway, been in corporate America anyway, trying to transverse it for yourselves. But just the idea of being in a position to assist companies with it, can you recall that period of time and what you was looking for going into these so-called rooms saying, hey, what can we do to help and change this even within our companies? Can you recall, you, you know, kind of where you were at at that point mentally? Oh, um, absolutely. Um, actually, during that time, I was trying to start a DEIB startup, right? And because I've done so many transformations, um, DEIB transformation is that, right? It requires change, right? So you get in these rooms with these executives and keep in mind that one of the things that most corporations did was have these listening sessions and these sounding boards where their black employees got together and told them how they felt, right? I'm not sure what that did other than highlight trauma because that was, that was corporate America leaders thinking this is going to help, right? Not really, right? You don't really want to explain over and over and over again because it wasn't just a one-time thing. We did it several times, right? So we had those listening sessions. And whenever somebody would call me up and ask for advice as to what we do, the first thing that I always coach them on is, first of all, this has to be intentional, right? You can't just say you're doing something to do something, right? And keep in mind for Fortune 500 companies, we are their largest consumers. So they're going to do whatever they need to do, say whatever they need to say, I should correct myself, to keep that bottom line from not going under, right? So you have an intentional conversation, and some corporate executives were okay with having the intentional conversations and understanding that it's just not about hiring, right? A lot of companies still feel that today, including the company that I'm currently working for. Let's hire. Let's hire. But when you hire and you don't have an inclusive place or an equitable place for those black people coming in to feel good about, you're not doing anything, right? You're bringing them into a hostile environment. Um, they're leaving by droves. Um, I was just on the call the other day with one of my coworkers that I'm actually mentoring, and she explained to me that black employees are leaving our company in Philadelphia by the droves, right? And Philly being like a black mecca, my mind went off, and I'm like, something's wrong, right? But it's that it's that intentionality, it's that let's create a culture, right, that if we bring black people or anybody in that's not like the majority, that we make sure that they feel welcome, that they feel comfortable, but also we have to put them in equitable places, right, to, to be leaders and to actually make a difference. That, to most C-level executives, is hard. Um, I look at um, Roz Brewer, right, who's currently – the CEO of Walgreens, right? Roz was the COO of Starbucks. She was the CEO of Sam's. And she's done a lot of things, right? But Roz is one of a few. I think you just named four, right? She's one of that four, right? And it's hard to come into a company that's systemically operated on white supremacy, Right, and and this is the way we operate. That change is very, very hard, 
And like I said, it's a hard conversation to have to talk about the intentionality that you need, but it's a harder conversation to say, let's do real steps, right? Let's figure out a plan and let's do it because most CEOs' attention span is short, right? Hence, during the height of George Floyd, let's do something. Let's make these pledges. Let's pledge this $50 million, right? That was the thing to do. And now, if they even had a plan back then, it's put to the side because their attention is on something else now, right? So it's a it's a lot of work that has to be done. There's work that can be done, but you have to have the willingness of somebody at the top to say, let's make this happen. I think the willingness was there during the height of George Floyd, but I don't think it's there anymore. Just my opinion. Okay, I respect that. Um, Latrice, I'll let you, you know, just give your take. Um, you know, where were you at mentally? I think you know, you and I may have been dialoguing because you, again, specifically work in um, DEI, just to be clear for anybody out there, uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion, just in case you haven't heard that term. Um, but if you will, Queen, uh, do you recall your mindset uh, knowing, because I think you mentioned you knew that there would be a lot of opportunities specifically for people in your field because it's, it's in a sense, this 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 aspect of corporate America has been there. You've been in this position for much longer than you know the George Floyd situation or whatever. Um, so you know you've been trying to navigate this space for years. But at that point, what was your mentality when it seemed like, as Yolanda said, there was a willingness to even do more than maybe what you were already attempting to do in that position, if that makes sense? What was what do you recall your mindset at that time? So my mindset was cautiously optimistic um, because I was experiencing a lot of frustration and what I felt like was performative actions. Um, And as it turned out, they were performative, and the frustrations that I I was feeling was right on point. Um, I was frustrated because I was having to explain why an organization needed to speak up not just speak up, but but act up um, and and do something different than they've always done because, you know, the company that I was working with at that time, you know, the CEO told me was, I don't see color. And I said, that's a problem because you do need to see color. Um, and I have to go down this whole path explaining to him how when you say you don't see color, that means that, you you know, unconsciously you find something wrong with color. And when you don't see color, you don't understand the inequities that explain why people are so upset. You, from your seat of privilege, you see, well, maybe if he hadn't fought back, he would still be alive. No, not likely. And so there, there seemed to be um, the idea that, oh, I need to open up my mind and understand from their perspective. But because it's not their lived experiences, as soon as the media moved past, the protest stopped, so did their intentionality. Okay, so now, so y'all know, I'm going to attempt to play devil's advocate some throughout the show. Um, So where my mind goes is I hear, um, as you said, Latrice, for you, it was some frustration saying, would this be performative action? Or am I in a, am I, I'm in a period where I'm going to witness performative action. And now a couple of years later, you can say that's exactly what it was, which leaves you more frustrated. And then Yolanda yourself also having, 
you know, been in this space for, again, much longer than this two-year period where we get corporate America say, hey, we want to do something about it. So whether they were truly willing or it's a performative action, meaning it, you know, wasn't sincere, that's kind of how I would take that term, if you will, uh, considering that's the conclusion that you've seen. So what I want to ask is what, how were you do? If at a time when they're pledging money, at a time where they're saying we really want to do something, and y'all have been in the space for a number of years, what has it been like trying to move the needle even prior to that point? And and, and the effectiveness of DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion, because again, companies have these positions, and so if you're telling me at a time when they were amped to do something, there's a Unfortunately, not a lot of results. Do was was any of the efforts even prior to George Floyd even valuable? If that makes sense, it's just again these are just things that are popping in my head because I want to do a full dialogue versus you know just literally talk about what was done and what was not done. We just want to really get into this. So um, Yolanda, I'll start there. You again, with you've been in the space, um, and if the last two years haven't been successful after that you know, this this willingness, what was the work prior to that for you? So to to to, to coin Latrice's phrase, the work prior was absolutely performative. You know, you you set up corporations started setting up ERGs, right, for for different um What's an ERG if you don't mind keep if you don't mind please. It's a it's an employee resource group. Right, okay. so you have your black ERGs, you have your Indian ERGs, you have your women ERGs, right? So that was their performative action to say, "Hey, we're going to care and we're going to listen," right? But but they really weren't, right? I think ERGs since George Floyd have come a little bit more vocal and a little bit more powerful, right? But it was corporations. Who was it that said corporations are people? Was that Mitt Romney? Whoever said it. Right, mm-hmm. it's, it's true, right? Because the leaders of corporations are sitting back making a whole bunch of money. Their boards are doing the same. And in their mind, why should they care about diversifying the workforce? Why should they care about what's happening in black communities? And I know stuff is happening in um, Asian and Pacific and Latinos, and I appreciate that, but my passion is for my community, right? So they don't have a reason to care because it's not impacting their lives at all, right? It's what's going on. It's what's status quo in the world. For George Floyd, it was like, hmm, George Floyd, again, I go back to their pockets, their money, and there's just not enough of us in corporations in the United States of America to make that much of an impact, right? We can protest. We can have listening sessions. We can talk. But collectively, because they're not people that look like us on the board or at the C-suite, it's just performative action to say, I'm going to listen, right? I'm not going to promise to do anything, right? So before it was performative. Now it's a performative, I guess, with a different flair, right? Because everything was so heightened. And um, the corporation that I'm at, at now, our black ERG is probably the most powerful thing that I've ever seen because it's full of people who will walk, Right, just not, just not, and that's just not here. Everybody cares about their paycheck, right? So nobody wants to lose that. But 
if you have a group of people that will say, okay, I'm okay with losing my paycheck because I'm going to stay here for a cause, um, that makes a difference, right? But um, and Latrice has done a lot of work with ERGs, so I'll let her, I'll let her speak to that. But it's just in ERGs and how that's a performative measure that a lot of C-level executives want to take to say, okay, we're going to make a difference. We're going to listen. That was before, and that's now. A lot of right, yeah. Now I got you, Latrice, about a minute and a half. Um, yeah, a quick thought on me asking, well, what was the work prior? If, again, if there's not a lot of advancement since the, the so-called willingness just a couple years ago, what has been the work prior? And if it is just performative, performative action, then my mind seeks to, well, why why is this needed if it's not going to be effective? I'm not saying it should, it's not needed. I'm just kind of asking these questions as I think about this deeper. Okay. So before the death of George Floyd, there were fewer companies who even made any performative effort. After the death of George Floyd, um, and I honestly think that in that moment, many of those folks who, who made that pledge, they, you know, their, their hearts were hurting for what they saw. For all intents and purposes, the, the world had stopped during this time. We were in the midst of a pandemic. There were no bars open. There were no sporting events happening, no movie theaters open. And so people sat and watched in horror as this police officer put his knee on a man's neck and literally drained the life out of him. And so they came back full of indignation and wanted to do something. Um, so, at, so the after impact is that there are a lot more organizations that have DEI efforts, but those efforts are typically poorly funded, um, meaning that the budget that's, that's, that's been set aside for those efforts is very minimal. Um, and to Yolanda's point about employee resource groups, many have started employee resource groups, but one of the mistakes that a lot of companies make is they want to um, inflict or, or they want to put the onus on the ERGs to educate their staff. And that is not the role of an employee resource group. So there's a lot of misgivings um, with regard to the work that, that organizations are doing right now. Okay. All right. We're going to play another cut. Um, again, just speaking to this report card for this morning's discussion question. After George Floyd, has corporate America kept its promise to black Americans? We'll be right back. I want to hear both of y'all thoughts on the cut from the Roland Martin show. The press release, you put it on social media, you announced you were going to spend $100 million. We're here to find where's the report, where's the money, who got checks, uh, we want to see the we want to see the canceled checks or the positive whatever, and then mm-hmm. we gonna come back. See, see again. See to me, you, you gotta shine light on, and, and I and I'll be straight up honest with yeah, you. Yeah, I don't disagree. That's what I mean by saying you cannot say right. that we're gonna do an internal audit. What is that? That internal audit means I'm only gonna show you the numbers that are in my favor, and the other numbers I'm just gonna put away in a closet and keep it to myself. Like that doesn't work. And I think what I mean, all, and I think what we work, also have to do is we also have to be but Barry, we we also have to be jamming up the black board members saying, Hey, what you doing? You sitting your behind on the board? Are you holding them accountable? Well, and so in terms of black board members, what I will say is, um, 
there aren't a lot of them. And my father-in-law, he is Barry Williams, not to be misconstrued with Barry Williams. <laughs> and he spent two years doing this and because he wanted to retire and get off of boards. And he kind of just did a look around and then spent two years looking at what was the, you know, basically the succession plan for each of those boards. And they didn't have black people. They didn't know black people. And he was like, this is a problem. Because even when you do find black people, it's the same, like, three. Do better. So I will give snaps to Barry Lawson Williams all day, every day for that. Um, he's one of your people. He's not alpha, but one of your other people. But he spent two <laughs> so, years doing so that. So that people... So that- so that people who are watching, the people who are watching and listening right now, what are you telling them that they should be doing to force these companies to pony up the money? Well, and that's the other thing that I always tell Roland. It, diversity is a four-legged stool. So if your employees, if your suppliers, if your customers, and it's your board members, and people always forget the suppliers and the board members. If you are not looking at your board membership, you doing it wrong, period. That's the end. And that's what Barry spent two years doing was like, there's nobody that can succeed me. Like, I would love to bring somebody up, but you don't know who this person is. So even if I brought them to you, you would be like, who is this? Even if they have an impeccable resume. And that's a problem. So that's something else that we need to tackle is, there are tons of black people that we have that are board ready, who own their own businesses. People like you, very easy. And but they're like, uh, I don't know who that is. My girl, not 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 you know doggone well. They ain't gonna put me on no board. Lord, yeah, well, yeah, no, nah, they, 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 they put like me on one black. either, but yet they put somebody put me on one. I don't know. No, no. <laughs> nah, I don't know, boy. I think you a little safer. I think you a little safer than me. Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates, along with special guest co-host Latrice Ross. This morning's discussion question, after George Floyd, has corporate America kept its promise to black Americans? Our special guest, Yolanda Hughes, I'll start with you again as our guest, Yolanda. Uh, just in hearing that cut, a couple things stood out to me, but I just want to hear uh, what stood out to you in hearing Roland Martin talk, you know, kind of already do what we're doing today, having, in a sense, saying, hey, where's that Where's that $50 billion? Where is it going? Where's the check? Where's the money? Basically doing the report card that we, in a sense, are doing here this morning. Your thoughts in, in, in hearing um, himself and Barry Williams, what's her name, um, you know, speaking about being on boards as well. Go ahead, Queen. Well, I, I – um... I resonate with a lot of things that they were saying, right? So to hold corporations responsible, you have to start at the top, right? You have to start at their board of directors. And um, I echo what the sister said when she said, there's just not a lot of us on boards. Corporate Americans start looking for black board members. They seem to recycle the same people, right? And in my mind, that they must be that they're safe or whatever, right? So I think California passed a bill that the board must diversify. Boards must be diversified of corporations in California to operate in California. They didn't basically say black, they just said diversify, right? And so there's a lot of other initiatives like that 
to try to diversify boards, but it starts at the top, right, to have any successful program to help make sure that that $50 billion was pledged is actually being spent in the right direction. You need representation on those boards, right? From the board, it trickles down to your seed levels. That trickles down to your leadership levels, right? The absence of black people being in those positions means we'll never really know, A, was the money really spent? How was it spent? And things like that, right? So their their conversation about having black people on board is a very, very, very important topic because until we get there, we're not able to trickle down to the other elements of the corporation that we can actually make effective changes in. Okay. So when I listen to you and hear you, so I think I hear two things, and Latrice, you can jump on this. So, and I want this to be part of the dialogue, not necessarily at this moment. We'll get into the individual climb up corporate ladder because, again, y'all are helping people get into these positions anyway with with the work that you do. Um, So I hear when I hear Yolanda say, until there's more there. So there's the path for, again, those in our community that want to take that path. We can talk about how to navigate that path again and want to do that with this show as well. And then there's this aspect of based on where we're at now, there's, I hear Yolanda, it sounds to the degree that there's no way to even hold any of these corporations accountable. So there's an aspect of me that says, well, is it useless then? If if you can just kind of see where my mind goes in hearing at this point, we can't hold them accountable, if you will. Go ahead. If that's, if that's you, Yolanda, go ahead and jump back in if you want to jump back in. Go ahead. Okay, so Thank yeah, you. I don't I don't think it's useless, right? But I think that, that that's our point of focus to say, okay, how do we affect change and basically force these corporations to start putting black people on their board, to start putting black people in their C level organizations and they recycle the, the people that they're comfortable with, right? There's a plethora of qualified black men and women that can sit on boards, that can serve in C level uh, position, but what it's going to take us is is intentional focus on forcing corporations to do that, right? You know, there was a time, Montoya, when we used to um, we used to boycott companies, right? And if we just collectively get together and start doing things like that, corporations don't want to hurt their bottom line. And whereas initially it might be performative to put people in these positions, once we get in those positions, we're able to affect changes in the organization and force the organizations to do things. But until we get in there, it's lip service, in my opinion. So let me ask you this real quick, and then Latricia, jump on this as well. I think you mentioned uh, one of the CEOs at the top of the show and how difficult it is for her even being, quote, unquote, the CEO. So, again, I'm being, I'm being playing devil's advocate listening to this, and in my mind, logically, it's not adding up. And, again, I'm not disagreeing with you. It's just I want to I want to dig into this dialogue. If it's hard for the CEO when you first mentioned that, the sister that's, you know, one of the four CEOs at Google, if it's hard for her based on how it's been and we don't have the numbers and it will be a while before we have enough numbers, even if we take what y'all are suggesting, then it's still going to be a, a long time before there's really ineffective change. And the question I'll go, Latrice, is do I don't know if I even care about forcing it. Again, if I'm taking that perspective, respond to that, um, Latrice. 
so it's it's definitely a worthwhile pursuit because not everyone wants to be a founder of a company. Some people want a good job where they're able to advance. And and so there are two there's a dichotomy here. There's there are two sides to this. So first there is the unconscious bias and sometimes outright bias that we have to overcome. Um, and then there are challenges of us where we just decide, I'm just going to keep my head down, do my job, and go home. So first we deal with the issue of the opportunity being present and recognizing that there are skilled people that are available to do these roles. Then there is a middle part where we begin to train up um, the next level of, of executives. That's the piece that's missing that we're starting to see a lot more focus on. There are more and more colleges, academic institutions that are offering these continuing education programs where they are actually bringing in those, they call them underrepresented groups. I call them historically excluded groups because those two phrases mean two distinctly different things. Um, But they're raising them up to be executives. They're giving them the skills in finance and marketing and board leadership and those things. And then they need to get that experience. And so they're now beginning to align academically with preparing folks from historically excluded groups into those roles. Now, when we get into a position, and this is a natural human response, we get passed over time and time and time and time again. And many of us, me, I was told that as a black woman, I'm going to have to work twice as hard to get half as far. And that is absolutely true. And so we have the skills, we have the work ethic, but then oftentimes we don't do the required networking because we don't want to be around them. We all day, we, we cover who we are. And then after work, I don't want to go drink with you. I want to go home. I'm tired of dealing with you. So there are all those dynamics at play that we have to overcome. The company that I've been working with, they had a chief marketing position open and a chief financial officer position open. And it's a one with a woman and another with a white man, claiming they couldn't find anyone who was qualified. And there are amazing financial minds that are available. And there are definitely amazing marketing minds that are available. It's just being open and knowing where to reach them and dealing with the unconscious bias. And that's the part that's difficult to overcome because, A, it is unconscious, B, it's a function of the brain, and C, it means having a long, hard look at the person in the mirror and recognizing I need to make some changes. Right. And so, again, I'm – I'm loving the dialogue. I'm challenging him specifically throughout the show. And so, like, when you think of things like unconscious bias, which I understand and love your work, uh, very good stuff for the individual who wants to kind of figure that out and work on that. It seems a little unrealistic, in my opinion, on the corporate level for, you know, like you like you said, though, Yolanda, whoever said corporations are people. So that part I get, but just on the corporate level, having that be widespread, I think that part is going to always exist. And so I think for the executives who do, the black executives specifically, who do navigate and get into these positions, they say, okay, that's the game, which I'm, you know, I'm talking to the class of both of you, that's the game. And so they expertly, to a degree, learn how to navigate the waters as they are. And I think that 
is more of the reality. Again, not to say don't have DEI and don't have your work being done because it's kind of, in my opinion, a two-pronged attack. So I'm not, again, I'm challenging you, the position and what it actually does as far as DEI specifically, uh, but for the individual, I would challenge that the mantra in 2022 would be the best at what you do. I'm not saying that alone will get you the position, but I would challenge that being the mantra, and that's just to even get with inside of our culture with the you have to be twice as good type stuff that obviously was said for so many years, and I would like to reframe that in when you're the best at what you do it will take you places. And I would argue that to a degree is how both of you have gotten into your position, even though you may be further along without a lot of this unconscious bias that exists and without the passing over. And again, that's not to dismiss and make that okay. I get how individually that is hard to go through. It is the reality that most of you as executives who decide to stay in corporate America to accept where you, whether you want to or not. Again, I'm not making it right. I'm just talking to it matter-of-factly. Matter uh, we're up against the break. I got Brother Pianchi that wants to get in after the break. We'll be right back listening to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, where all I ask is that you think. LNG Technology Services, we are your industry leader in aircraft and heavy equipment repair services. In commercial business, for over 15 years, LNG technicians have over 150 years of equipment-specific knowledge and are known industry-wide for returning worn-out, broken, and overused ground support equipment back to the user in working better than new conditions. For a service job done right at a value unparalleled in the industry, contact LNG Technology Services at 478-781-4860. Again, for a service job done right, that number is 478 478- 781-4860. LNG Technologies is a Mental Dialogue Gold member and proud sponsor of the Mental Dialogue community. Wow, man. Oh, my God. That was awesome. That was fantastic, man. Thank you. You the water. That was incredible. Thank you. Wow, dude. You're making waves in this company. You really showed up. But it's, 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 it's your unique voice that you're bringing. You know, it's... it's your flavor. We need more of that flavor that you bring to that table. Huh? You know? Good, good job. Hey. Good job. Good job. Hey. All right? Solid stuff, man. I love it. I love it. Fantastic. Killed it today, man. Gotta go. Hey, boss. Uh, quick question. Yeah. What about my raise I asked about? <clears throat> yeah. Uh, you know, about that. We've had some budget cuts in the company. Okay, long story short, I can't give you that raise that I promised you. Some of the budgets have been shrinking, and I can't accommodate all the bonuses that I promised. But, sir, oh, I, I... Okay, <laughs> I know what you're about to say, and I can assure you that this has nothing to do with what you might be thinking. Okay. And I can assure you that by next quarter, your name, your name is at the top of my list. Huh? How does that work for you? Yeah, boss. Uh, I completely understand. No problem, sir. 
it works perfectly fine for me. Awesome. Awesome. Whew. <laughs> hey, you should be happy. You know, people like you, they don't get opportunities like this. Don't come around. See you tomorrow. Yep. See you tomorrow. Thank you for thinking of me. Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates, along with special guest co-host Latrice Ross. After George Floyd, has corporate America kept its promise to black Americans? Our special guest, Yolanda Hughes, as we hear a skit on YouTube. And I'll add a little more context, that same brother who's asking for his raise, saying, hey, what happened to my raise, boss? Um, the skit included a video, just a, in the video, if you will, him getting a text from one of his coworkers, and I'm assuming um, a black coworker, just based on how the video was set up, saying, hey, this new girl's been here seven months. She's already got a bump and raise. What's up with that? And he ends up doing an amazing presentation as you hear the boss applauding him for this amazing presentation and adding flavor to how he does marketing, but at the same time not giving him the proposed raise. Yolanda, I'll let you respond before we go to Brother Piaki, um, because Latrice made that idea of being in corporate America and getting passed over time and time again, and we had an exact, you know, in a sense, assimilation of that play right now. So um, how often do you see this in your position of helping people navigate that, that corporate ladder, if you will? Yolanda? Did we lose you? Sorry, I was on mute. Sorry. Uh, no problem. Go ahead, Queen. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I I hear it every day, right? I'm considered a black female corporate executive in technology, so I try to mentor and coach anybody who asks, right? And what I've seen over my career is it's a generational thing, right? So the generation before me, their attitude was kind of like, okay, let's get here, let's have a person here to set the example and show everybody that, you know, we belong. Um, my generation kind of had the let's each one, teach one, reach one, right? So let's get there. Let's bring somebody along with us, right, to, to kind of sort of move the needle. I think GNX is more aggressive with that, and they're basically saying, okay, we're not going to stand for this. We're going to kind of sort of start to set the example of what this should look like, what corporate America should look like, and what we are going to stand for. And in my opinion, I think Gen Z is going to blow it up because they're not going to stand for it, right? So in corporate America, salary is something that's almost taboo, right? Because you don't really know what the person beside you that has your same role and title, what they're making, right? You know, um, companies put out, you know, salary data and things like that, trying to make every everybody feel good. But if we're real with ourselves, more than likely, people that look like you and I, our salaries probably aren't as high as our counterparts. And from my perspective, if there's a male in my same position, they're probably making more than me, right? So to have a discussion about what about my raise, what about my whatever, in corporate America, as a black person, it's always already difficult for most people to do because you have to take whatever they tell you. Unless position 
and you feel so good about who you are that you're not okay with taking whatever they want to tell you, which might put you on a pip. It might put you being fired. It might put you being demoted or whatever. But to me, those are all personal choices that you have to make, right? I was raised to fight for what's mine, to fight for what I owe. So I fight that fight for pay equity every day, not just for myself but for other people that reach out to me to say, how do I do this? How do I handle this? Huge, huge problem in in corporate America. And I don't think that that's something – what I've seen corporations do is we're going to work towards pay equity by 2030. We're going to work towards pay equity by, by a date. I've seen a company make an announcement that they're going to show pay equity like in the next quarter, and when that pay equity report came out, it was basically blank. Right, because corporations know, right? It's been the good old boys network forever. <laughs> That's not something that we're a part of. For corporations, that was one of the things that they promised after George Floyd, right? To, to to hire more black people, to hire more black executives, and to bring black people up to pay equity. That's something, in my opinion, they fall short on as well. well fair enough. Well, one thought from you as well, Latrice, um, before I go to Brother Pianchi, and and the thought is. And a little specifically, I want to ask, kind of say this before you um, jump in, was that, again, as I listened to y- Yolanda, a lot of that, um, again, as you hear that executive, but I remember you saying, if you don't mind, just kind of mentioning this, again, not specifically the name, but you highlighted how you recently was working with someone that was looking to get a position, and the question even came up, and this is, you know, really culturally was the idea of how should she wear her hair going into the interview, like, uh, and, and you were like, do you want the job or not? And that was a real-life consideration for a sister going for, I guess, I'm assuming an executive position if you were helping them. But if you could just even highlight that, again, as part of this climb in corporate America, I understand that that's a real-life decision or whatever, but I think it also has to be highlighted in that that you know highlighted in this conversation as well. Oh, sure. I was coaching someone preparing them for an interview at a at a university, um, for an you know, in academia it's an executive level position and the people that she would be reporting up to, what she noticed is that they don't have any black people that they work closely with and they didn't appear to be very comfortable with blackness. And she wears her hair in twist, which is, you know, for black women, that's a, that's a, a natural hairdo that, that if you're not comfortable with blackness, you may consider that to be unprofessional. And so as we were closing out the coaching part of it, she said, well, since you work in diversity, what do you think I should do? Should I wear a different hairdo or should I just go in with my twist? And I asked her, I said, it really, I can't tell you what to do. It really boils down to because you under, you know the people that you you interviewing with and how they deal with blackness. So if you feel that they are not comfortable with blackness, the hairstyle that you have throws blackness in their face. And so if you want to get the job, it might be better for you to not be so obvious in your blackness as you interview. But I would, if you get the job, once I got the job, I would then introduce them to me and all my blackness. Um, and she took that route. She interviewed, and she had a hairdo that would be deemed as professional. 
and um, she's waiting on the outcome now to see whether or not she got that role. But that is a very real decision that black women have to make every day who go to corporate America. And I wanted to add one additional caveat when we talk about black executives. Typically when executives are placed in a leadership role, they are done, they're, they're being placed in these roles that in organizations that are troubled more so than, than the majority population. So when there's a black CEO that's put in place or a woman CEO that's put in place, these companies typically need to be pulled out of hot water and, wow. you know, right the ship. And they, get, they, they give them these roles under daunting circumstances. And nine times out of ten, most of them succeed. But I just want wow. to throw that out that typically they have to overcome those hurdles as well. No, I mean, it makes me think of I mean, my purview, again, not being in the, you know, going up to corporate America, but it's similar to how a lot of black NFL coaches will be given the worst teams and that type of stuff. And so sometimes they don't hit the nine times out of ten succeeding because they already were giving, you know, in a sense, the worst team when they, you know, where some guys get shots at uh, first-time shots at, with a great team already in hand. But that's not something you typically will see a black coach giving. So I think it's similar in that sense. Um, Brother Fiaki, we're going to bring you live on the line. You are live. Thanks for calling us. About, I can't talk about company. You know the difference between a company and a corporation, by the way. But I can only tell you about my experience, what I've seen. Now, there are blacks that's been in those corporate head positions for decades. And the earliest ones I could think of was Vernon Jordan. He sat on every major corporation singly. You had black females that headed American Express. You had black males. Uh, Joseph Jett was a head. Junk Bond. King Joseph Jett with Keela Peabody. That was decades ago. And, uh, you know, me, myself, I didn't have to go to Vietnam because my industry told the Selective Service to leave me alone. I had 2A draft certification. Then, you know, I have seen personally, and I've talked to you about this before, with black STEM graduates, with the National Society of Black Engineers. They have annual job fairs where all corporations come to that job fair rather than individuals going around the country to their particular job fair. And two years in a row, I've seen Northwood Grumman hire over 400 black STEM graduates off the convention floor and just before COVID, I think it was 2000, Lockheed Martin, which is a Mississippi-based defense company, they hired over 400. So I guess everybody has their own story. But the merits are there. I had people run my jobs, and they had people that followed them and wanted to work for them. Because you couldn't turn no job off just anybody. I don't care what color their skin was. But I had some key employees, Oscar Dixon and Eddie Pinion. I paid them above scale. They had guaranteed 40, 40 hours a week, no matter if they sat at home because of snow or whatever. So you, I mean, it, 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 
it's it's both sides of the story. Well, let me let me do this. We're at the top of the hour. I have a question I want to ask you, um, but I got to do the top of the hour break. So if you will, I'm going to keep you on past the break. Thank you, Brother Pianti, for calling in. Anybody else that would like to get in, the number is 646-787-1691. Again, 646-787-1691. You have to press 1 to let us know you want to speak. I'll be, we'll be right back where all I ask is that you think. Hey, where did you get that hat and t-shirt? I like that. Oh, I got this at moneymotivation.com. It's fresh, right? Yes, and I love the message on it, too. You are the hustle, huh? That's what the shirt says. I am the hustle. They embody the entrepreneurial spirit, and what I like the most, it's more than a brand. It's a lifestyle for those who want to put in the work and expect to have the final things in life. I also follow them on Instagram. Check this post out. If you believe money is the root of all evil, you're using it wrong? Or how about this one? Excuses made $0 an hour. I like those. What's their IG? At moneymotivation.co. But do they have any ladies gear? Yes, you're going to love the clothing line they got for the ladies. Matter of fact, pull up their website, moneymotivation.com, and I'm going to get you a few things so we can both look like money. Everywhere I go, go. Everywhere I be, be. I don't even talk. So in the Fortune 500, there are four CEOs who are African-American. You're one of four. Um, are you surprised that in this day and age there's so few? And why do you think there are so few who are becoming CEOs or are CEOs of the Fortune 500 companies? I would say that if you had gone back 25 years, the most pessimistic observer would have thought we would have had more than four out of 500. So I can't say that that's uh, something that doesn't surprise me on one level. On the other level, I think we have to be honest in this country. I think we have to recognize that there's subtleties to our history around race, uh, that people who are African-American, for the most part, find themselves in a situation where they have to overcome uh, some customs, some beliefs, uh, and it's much harder for many African-Americans uh, to find their way to these positions. I just mentioned that Dr. Vagelos brought me out of a law firm and put me here. I think one of his reasons, uh, frankly, because he said this publicly and in the book, is he wanted to have a diverse management team. And so I was brought in in part for that reason, but I was also given opportunities, stretch assignments. And so I don't think my experience is typical for African-Americans in corporate America. What, what have you done to increase or make certain that you have minority employees at Merck since you've been the CEO? Well, one of the things that we try to do is to make sure that at the senior level, uh, at our board level, and at our senior uh, management level, we are a diverse group. And I think if you look at our senior management team, it's probably, if not the most diverse uh, team in, in large companies, uh, it's, it's close to that. On the other hand, I think you've got to look at all levels of the company. And what we're trying to do inside Merck is to ensure that we create an environment where all employees, uh, irrespective of gender, uh, race, sexual orientation uh, can reach their full potential. We haven't gotten to where we need to get, I would say particularly with respect to African-Americans at lower levels below the senior management levels. Uh, we have a challenge, and I think we're going to have to step up to that challenge. And the way that you do that is, frankly, uh, you begin to establish targets 
and you manage to those targets in the best way you can, consistent with how you have to run your company. Welcome back to the Mr. Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates, along with special guest co-host Latrice Ross. This morning's discussion question, after George Floyd, has corporate America kept its promise to black Americans? Our special guest is Yolanda Hughes, corporate, corporate consultant. As we hear a cut from Kenneth Frazier, uh, black CEO of Merck, or CEO of, of Merck, if you will, uh, talking about in his company, making some waves. I have a call on the line, Brother Pianchi. I wanted to ask Brother Pianchi a question about a couple of things you said. So, Brother Pianchi, I do have you live back on the air. And so as I listened to you and you mentioned the idea of both sides of the coins, you know, you, you, you gave your purview. I would ask you and challenge a couple of things you mentioned just to hear your thoughts on it. But you mentioned, uh, I think, Vernon, um, I forgot the last name, um, from Vernon Jordan. Vernon Jordan, they've done 16 minutes piece on him. He sat on practically every board and major right. corporation. I want to right. give you a couple yeah. names. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Yeah, hold on. So, so we've talked about, I don't know how long you've been listening to the show, but there was a cut play earlier with Abari Williams, who's also on some boards now, if you will. But she talked about the idea of recycling the same people. So even in hearing the Vernon Jordan situation, I would be remiss not to point out that very point. If they're, in a sense, rotating the same people versus hearing Barry Williamson, there's plenty of people who are board qualified but often are not being considered. And I would also talk about the climb up corporate America. So even in hiring those STEM engineers off the floor, one of the things that was pointed out a couple years ago in, 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 in challenging systemic racism within these corporations, they wanted to move above and beyond just the hiring stage. And the reason that was a part of the, the dialogue is because that in itself, they were admitting that isn't the issue. The issue is the upward climb. So I wanted to hear your thoughts. And you gave examples of well, hiring off the floor and my question mm-hmm. also referenced to that if they're circulating the same people, that's not the other side, in my opinion, that shows the other side, as you suggested. Your thoughts? Well, it's not necessarily, they say it's circling, but some people don't want to get into those positions. You know, running a corporation is very tedious, and you have to put in a lot of hours. I mean, it's not uncommon with 16-hour days, but uh, you do have blacks that, do excel. Look at Dusty Baker. His management of professional baseball team. He was a good player, then he moved in to become a manager. But all players that's good don't work out that way for him. Uh Ozzie Smith, the shortstop for the St. Louis Cardinals, was so great in that city that the owner of Anheuser Bush, Gussie Bush, gave him a blank check his last year and say, fill in the zero. So, you know, those uh if there's both sides of the story. I don't know why you cut me off, Brother Pianchi. I got to cut you off because here you go. You, you can't tell me that we went from six CEOs to four CEOs because now a lot of people don't want to do it. Barry Williams is saying there are plenty of people board qualified. So I do, You we absolutely understand. Plenty of people don't want the responsibility of CEO, COO, CFO. That's plenty of people regardless of race. However, for us to go from, like like Brother Kenneth Fraser said, 25 years ago, 
the most pessimists wouldn't have assumed that there was only four executives in Fortune 500. So I, I'm not going to accept that there are not black people who want more of those positions. Because that's kind of how you answer I can name I can name more of them and myself and in in other entities in the construction engine. See, you got some positions that blacks just was not doing. You know, for instance, putting up structural steel building, high riding. You didn't have blacks even working at that or wanting to work at that. You had some, a lot that did, or should I say some that did, but then you had those that don't. And then Today, you have to have people that's willing. Well, you know, I'm going to tell you something. I've done that for 40 years. I think I can speak on it. Well, are you speaking? When you say other industries, I'm at, we're having a conversation about corporate America today. So, so well, versus, they are corporations. That's their they, versus they are corporations, though. <laughs> they are corporations. You're talking about those big box corporations, but I'm talking about there's other corporations that get things done where you do have blackness behind. And then you and, you, and then you don't. I mean that's. You know, I guess they're trying to make changes in that, but the, I can't tell you about working in those. I can only tell you in the field that I work, I and that there are blacks that you just don't see them. Right. So I understand that mm-hmm. conversation of other industries, but the people that came I out. you want one of your friends. Look at uh, what's his name, Brant, brother Brant. Look what he's doing in business. You just don't hear about a lot of them. But then again, is there room for improvement? Yes, there is. Right. And the dialogue is about the people, the big box companies that made the splash two years ago, that made these pledges, yet there is no progress specifically for them. That is the discussion. Thank you for your three cents this morning, King. Yeah, thank you. Uh, Absolutely. Anybody else wants to get in? 646 seven eight seven one six nine one again that's six four six seven eight seven one six nine one um Yolanda is our second time guest on the show I'll let you <laughs> get responses um, as you see me and brother Fianca we go back and forth like this quite often um but I'll let he, you give me some thoughts to what he, you heard he, he, he's very interested and as a person who's been in STEM <laughs> for 40 years the, um I don't care if somebody goes and hires 400 people at a NASA convention when they have 150,000 employees, I'm sorry. That's just not making a difference, right? And, again, I've been an engineer in technology for 38 years, so I know what the numbers look like because I see them. I am them, right? So there's there's a lot of work to be doing. I appreciate the brother's perspective, but I did want to shed just a little light on the, the four black CEOs that we keep referencing, right, if you don't mind. Yeah, please, absolutely. Go ahead, Queen. There's actually, there's actually six right now, right? The brother from Merck is no longer CEO, right? Okay. So the six are the sister that I mentioned, Ross Brewer, who's CEO of Walgreens. TIA, TIAA has a sister also, Sonda, Sonda Brown Duckett. She's a, she's a CEO. Um, hold on. Robert Reskin founded the real estate platform Compass. Um, Curate Retail CEO is David Wallison. He's a new brother. Um, Frank Frank Clyburn, who we heard earlier, right? And um, there's one more, I'm sorry. Renee Jones, she's CEO of M&T Bank, right? Those are the current black CEOs as of May of this year in the Fortune 500. Just wanted to add that. 
No, absolutely. Um, Latrice, so we're up to up to see. <laughs> oh yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, that we yeah we like to have the right information. So appreciate you for that info and love and love to highlight those names um, as well. As a matter of fact, before I go to Latrice, I would love to highlight when you say thirty eight years in STEM, uh, and it's just something that I've never forgotten was the idea that when we were talking to you when we had the conversation about STEM and highlighting even your career, um, and it's just because it's a kind of a cool thing that you were on the base as one of the uh, the sisters, in a sense, from quote-unquote Hidden Figures, that movie that obviously became famous. You were on the base and in STEM at the exact same time. So that was just like a cool fact to find out about you when we had you on the show speaking about more African Americans getting into STEM technology, which is something that is near and dear to you. So I would like to highlight that, you know, just highlight that again on the show today. Because, again, you're not just saying I've been in this thing for 38 years. You were really one of the, in a sense, at the forefront of getting more African-Americans into STEM when, when, like you said, the numbers are low now, but you were doing it when nobody had done it, if you will. So I want to highlight that as well. Well, Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for being with me. And the the, the numbers haven't changed, right? That's that's what bothers me about it, right? We can talk about Lockheed Martin High 400 and – Whoever else hired 400, the numbers in STEM when I finished college, I'm going to date myself, in 1983 was 4.2% black people. I think it's 4.8% today. So there's just work to be done, right? I was always the first and the only, and I just don't think that America should be doing that today, right? There's no reason that a black graduate in, in STEM should have to be the first in anything, right? There's just work to be done, and it starts with these corporations that made these promises, right? They actually aren't doing the work. Okay, I'll be quiet. <laughs> now, uh, Latrice, go ahead, Queen. Okay, so um, first of all, um, like Yolanda was saying, these companies with, with thousands of, hundreds of thousands of positions hiring, it may sound great in a headline, but when you put that headline against the number of open roles that they have and then put that against the level at which those people were hired into, and then put that against what are they being paid versus the white workers, you'll see the disparities that exist. Typically, black people have to continue, continue to have to overcome tons of systemic barriers to getting quality jobs with quality benefits. It actually played out during the pandemic. Black people are in those low-paying hourly jobs which exposed them to COVID during the pandemic, and that's one of the reasons that the black death rate was so high. So let's not get it twisted that these companies are hiring black people, and they went on a hiring spree after the death of George Floyd, but the roles that they hired them into were not the well-paying jobs with the great benefits. Oftentimes they were call center jobs or other jobs that were more entry-level than mid-level or high-level, and there are folks who have been toiling away in corporate America for 10, 20, 30 years and have only reached mid-level. There are so many black people who train people. They, they are already at this company and doing an excellent job, an excellent, so, such an excellent job that they, are, that they train people. They're the go-to people for training new people. And then you give those new people who might be white a couple of years, and the next thing you know, that black person that trained them, is now reporting to them 
those are the problems that we have to overcome. We're not saying that we get we get hired into these positions. We're saying that we don't get paid equitably in these roles. We're saying that we don't get the same access to opportunity, and we're saying that we're not getting hired into those high-level roles. One one retail company that I worked for, um, they looked out their black members. Tell that story after the break, if you will. We are forget the break right okay. now. All right, we'll be right back. You're listening to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, where all I ask is that you think. Hey, Smith, where you find that Prince Sign of the Times on vinyl at? Real talk, you got a dope vinyl collection. What, you been collecting them, like, over the years or something? No, actually, I just started my collection. But my man Tobago over at DBS Sounds, he be hooking me up. You remember DBS Sounds? On the south side, they still around? I figured most of the record stores in Atlanta be closed by now. Hey, vinyl is the new wave, and DBS Sounds got the best collection in town. You can still go there and flip through vinyl. They still got CDs and mixtapes, too. Let me check the IG page at DBS Sounds ATL. They still be having artists in stores and everything. Hey, you want to run by there? Hey, man, I ain't got time right now. I got to go back to Cali tomorrow, but I might have to catch them next time. Oh, nah, you good. Even when you get home, you can just shop at their online store at dbssounds.com. They'll ship directly to you anywhere in the country. Matter of fact, jump on dbssounds.com on your phone and order straight from there. Word? Hey, I'm about to get my music game up. Hey, what's their address? In case I get a chance to swing by there, I'm, I'm going to pick up that new Kendra Lamar CD. Oh, they at 6604 Highway 85, Riverdale, Georgia. Bet. Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates. Shout out DBS Sound for supporting the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. This morning's discussion question, after George Floyd, has corporate America kept its promise to black Americans? A special guest is Yolanda Hughes. A special guest co-host is Trish Ross. Latrice, you were given an example before the break. Go ahead, Queen. So I worked for a retail company in working, you know, helping them with their diversity um, problem. And they love to tout their 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 numbers um, of you know their, their racial numbers. And but when you look at the breakdown of those positions, they look good from a race perspective because there are so many of the the black people, the black and brown people, those historically excluded groups that are working in the retail, the customer facing positions. But when you look at their diversity statistics for the higher paying positions, the senior level management positions, the executive positions, they look dismal when it comes to those people from historically excluded groups. And a lot, a number of companies do that. And that's one of the things that I call out with companies now. It's not just about hiring, putting black faces in seats. It's about paying them fairly. It's about giving them access to opportunities to grow. It's about giving them positions or, or hiring them into positions that they are more than qualified for that pay them well. There are so things me, that black people have to go through that right, others you, don't when they want to get those in. roles. Yeah, let me jump in here. So, so again, what I recall from the pledges and the ideas of, again, what was happening after George Floyd was the companies were actually saying what you're saying now, okay? And I'm, I'm about to be complete devil's advocate because there is a – and I will admit there's a little bit of a frustration for me in listening to this from the standpoint of what you're saying is what the companies kind of say. We're not just the hiring. 
They were finally talking to talk about the systemic aspect and the things that you're talking about. If I hear both of you who work in the position, and it's kind of a repeat of what I said in the first hour, but again, it's just to really challenge this conversation from the standpoint of, so if it end up being lip service, then I don't know why we would continue to make this fight. Like, that's how it sounds for me. Like, why are we fighting so hard to, quote, unquote, when we say these words, force a company to do something that y'all are clearly telling me there's no movement. That starts not to make sense. It sounds like, and I'm not, when I say, I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not being facetious when I say it sounds like no, I simple painting. I heard some yeah. statements, so I can hear Yeah, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Please jump in, jump in, jump in. <laughs> so, jump in. so the reason that we continue to fight is because I have a 10-year-old grandson, and I want the wealth gap to not be as wide as it is when he becomes an adult. So if we don't, for us to get the rights that we have today, we didn't, we, we didn't just sit by complacently and pray that we would get them. We had to go out and fight and demand that. And so what, what makes you think that that's any different now? So, it's not, so not because you're still dealing with people who it's not their lived experience. And so they think, so because we've raised a few generations to be colorblind, and this is real science behind this, when you raise a, 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 a white person to be colorblind, what they miss in this is that they don't see the disparities that exist. And so now we have generations of people who think, oh, if I don't see color when I make my hiring decisions, that means that everything's equitable and everything's fair. So one of the things that I tell my white friends, don't raise your kids to, see, to not see color. Help them understand that color exists because when so, they see color and they see those differences, they can make a change. So I'm trying to come from the perspective of us as African-Americans what does the navigation look like specifically for us? Because uh, um, I'm, there's an aspect of the unconscious bias that I don't think is necessarily ever going to be removed. And what I mean by ever, I mean, I'm, talking about, I'm not talking about all white people. I'm talking about that there's aspects of what we're trying to change that I think to a degree is a little unrealistic from this standpoint, when I think of a company and a corporation who cares about their bottom line and are there enough stats and information out there to highlight how, quote, unquote, diversity helps their bottom line? Because without that, it seems there's a plethora of statistics to show how a black leader improve the bottom line and how diversifying your workforce improves the bottom line. But I just want to add a little bit more to your question of why are we doing it, right? We're doing it because we have to, right? It's our responsibility to make sure that the generations that come behind us don't have to fight this fight. That's what our ancestors did for us. There's things now that we don't have to fight because of the civil rights movement, because of Malcolm X, because of um, um, everything that the Black Panthers did. We don't have to fight. Yolanda, I'm cutting you off for a split second just to throw in the nuance here. So the nuance that I want to throw in is, the nuance that I want to throw in is everything you're saying I agree with. However, as I listen to y'all tell me what the results are, 
that's what I'm struggling with. If, if you understand the nuance of where I'm going, so when I yeah, when I just, tell me, yeah, that's what I'm just trying to get into that nuance versus the simple that because what I'm not doing to y'all is simply saying why are we having to do this. I, I don't want my question right. to sound that simple. I'm getting into no, the nuance. Get, yeah, so I'm just trying I to somehow let's get into that nuance. I don't know the answer, but I'm trying to challenge yeah. it on that nuance. If you if I hear two people that I admire greatly tell me how these companies are not doing any of this and then a black sister takes over a company and it's hard and I hear the brother on this cut say, well, when the interviewer asked him, well, how are you doing? And he goes, oh, there's still a long way to go and he's at the top. I don't suggest that it's easy. That's not what I'm saying. But if it's this hard pulling teeth, I'm not saying give up and don't do it. That's not what I'm saying. However, if the results are what they are, is there a way for us as African Americans to better navigate that reality? What what are we telling the people that y'all are coaching? I want to hear, in a sense, that dialogue with things being how they are now versus us fighting about what those companies could and should do. How do we? How are y'all coaching your people? That's what I need people to hear. Like, okay, if you want to go in those waters, I'm not telling them not to. How do they navigate? That's the that's the the dialogue. If if that makes sense, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. It does, right? Because I think that within you know, I believe in to who much is given, much is required, right? Mm-hmm. So it takes us to get together, us to band together. That's something that the ERG groups do, right? There's a whole bunch of professional organizations that that allow masses to gather to talk about and solve the problems, right? But when I coach, and I was coaching a sister the other day, right, who who is struggling because she doesn't feel she's supported, right? I'm the only one here, which in 2022 is kind of sad, right? And, and what do I do, right? But you have to encourage them and let them know that you're not the first to be the only, right? This might not be your only time, but you have to sit down and figure out what you want, and then you have to create a path as to how to go get it, right? She wants to double her salary. Right. And so I was like, okay, that's a lofty goal. Right. But let's sit down and make out a plan of the steps that you need to take to go make that happen. And it's possible. Right. You just have to work your plan. And sometimes you have to be courageous enough to walk away from a company that's not giving you what you want to go find some, somebody that will. Right. Fighting the good fight inside is awesome. But to your point, Montoya, sometimes things don't change. Right, and so you have to create a different path, yeah. right? It's, okay, what are we going to do differently, right? How are we going to force the situation? The company that I'm with now, I see our ERGs not just taking, right? Um, okay, this is what C-levels have decided. We're not going to take that. We're going to force change, right? It, it's dialogue. It's hard dialogue. But every now and then, you are talking to people who are like, okay, I need to listen. That doesn't happen always. Sometimes you can get the audience, and they'll listen and be like, "Okay, right. I heard you." Right. Go away. So, so I'm trying to. So, so I'm really trying to these last thirty minutes jump into what we can do, because I, you know, versus continuing the dialogue about whether they will listen. I don't care about they at this point for the last. Minutes. So, um, so I'm, I'm loving that there's an ERG that when you told me most of them are just kind of. And you mentioned that there, I thought about it when you said it earlier. There's this one ERG that's, you know, being powerful, and you kind of say they band together. So I want to just get into the dialogues of anybody out there listening that wants to get in corporate America. What are we saying specifically to our own people, knowing that we're up against a lot of people 
who may or may not listen. I don't even want to talk about those people anymore because if it listens, then obviously you're going to make progress. But what are we telling them based on the actual landscape? So, Montoya, um, one of the things that Yolanda said a while back was it's generational, and it is. See, what you have now are baby boomers retiring. You've got Gen Xers who are, are perhaps getting leaning towards retirement. And as these generations move out of the way, out of these leadership roles, they're making room for millennials and Gen Zers. And they are the ones who grew up with more diverse friends. They are the ones who grew up with an understanding of we're all human, regardless right. of the and color of our skin, sexual orientation. Yes, so listen, what are you telling the black millennials? So, no, 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 if you let me finish. So what I'm saying is oftentimes we look to those big companies with, you know, the traditional structure and those CEOs. I'm saying go for those wild companies, those, those, those companies with the younger founders, the younger CEOs, and you'll get greater access to opportunity. You'll get to, to experience what's called entrepreneurship where you're actually inside of a company, but you get to do your role as if you were an entrepreneur. But if we look to the traditional companies, those Fortune 500 companies that have these traditional leaders, mm-hmm. you're going to have problems. So I'm right. saying this one of the solutions is the type of company that you you look to get in, to become a part of. That has an impact. Definitely. Makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. Um, in the event that someone – actually, let's go to this break real quick so we can keep a, get a full thought a little few seconds early here. All right. For anybody out there listening, please jump in, 646-787-1691. You can press 1. This morning's discussion question, after George Floyd, has corporate America kept its promise to African Americans? All I ask is that you think. Truth Seekers, please understand, Mental Dialogue is much more than just a talk show. Each and every Saturday, we communicate with you for two reasons, to dialogue and connect. On the dialogue side, we cater to you intellectual outcasts who feel you have no place for honest discourse on race, sex, culture, and African-American business. On the Connect side, we've created a community where you can connect with experts specifically in finance, whether personal or business, and mental health, whether it's trauma or to optimize performance, along with all the other skill sets from other MD community members. Our mission was to create a virtual nationwide neighborhood where African-Americans learn to trade ideas, goods, and services through social media, meetups, and this podcast. To become a neighbor of the Mental Dialogue Community Club, please visit us at mentaldialogue.com. We are better with you than we are without you. We can be neighbors even though we don't live next to each other. Hashtag raise the culture. Mental dialogue. Dialogue and connect is what we do best. If you want to be a part of our community club, please go to mentaldialogue.com, as you just heard. If you want to keep intelligent radio on the air, go to mentaldialogue.com and become a member. This morning's discussion question, after George Floyd, has corporate America kept its promise to black Americans? Our special guest is Yolanda Hughes. Our special guest co-host is Latrice Ross. And so um, Yolanda wanted you to, in a sense, jump in again now for this last. It's like I want advice that y'all are giving to 
the people that y'all will help navigate, whether it be the Fortune 500 companies or whatever industry, you know, even to Brother Bianchi's point, maybe not the big box companies, if you will, but what type of dialogue specifically can someone that says, you know, I aspire to, you know, not necessarily start my own, because again, that's what, here, that's a, that's a thought process that happens in our community quite often. Well, instead of going for the corporations, let's have our own, and I respect that thought. However, I always keep in mind that 11% of the country are full-time CEOs with employees. In other words, that's a specific skill set that you can't just say to all of us. The rest of us will, in a sense, work for somebody, and that's a reality whether we like it or not. And based on that reality, for somebody who wants to navigate the corporate ladder, what specific things are you telling, you know, the next generation of how to navigate it today based on the things we've talked about today? Would you like me? No. Because <laughs> that's Patrice talking to her new best friend. So um, anyway, I think that when you're talking to um, younger black people, the landscape is a little different, right? You know, lots of corporations now don't require college degrees. It's kind of sort of about what you want, right? If you make a determination that you want to go to a Fortune 500 company, you have to accept what those Fortune 500 rules are, right? You can try to affect change within them, but they're, they're inbred, the kind of sort of how, how they are. And to Latrice's point, you can go to smaller companies now, right? Make an impact, get the experience, and not be treated as a second-class citizen, right? Or you can start your own, right? There's, there's three avenues, and most of us, because when we're in college and the corporations come to recruit us, that's the path that we choose. And, again, it's generational. So that with Gen Z coming up now, they're going to have different expectations on the corporation. It's not going to be an overnight change, Montoria, right? But I think eventually they will be able to change the status quo simply because they don't stand for it, right? I was at a Fortune 50 company in downtown Atlanta, and they did a lot of recruiting. A lot of our younger people came from Georgia Tech. We would literally come in daily and count how many laptops people left because Gen Z was like, mm, not putting up with this. They just leave, right? And for corporations to maintain, they're going to have to keep the talent. They're going to have to grow the talent, and they're going to have to make sure the talent is comfortable. Again, it's not going to be a quick fix, but I think they will eventually affect change, right? And then those of us who have been around for, for a while, we just continue to try to fight the fight. That's that's really all we can do. We can't give up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and for me, I'm not focused on fighting the fight as much as I'm trying to. Let's say if I come to you, London, and I say, I want to get a CEO position, and I get that you're saying I got to accept what they want, tell me what that is. You seem to like tell me what I'm having to accept. You know, kind of like like um, like Latrice had to tell that sister that decided to go for the position. Because the way I understood it, Latrice, you said, "Hey, it's up to you how you want to interview. I can't tell you what to do. That's her personal choice, right? Does she really want the job or does she not? Because again, you could go. She could have went with the twist, right? And that's okay if she decided to go with the twist. But she needs to be very aware of that reality. And I, what I'm trying to mention is, what I'm saying is. That was great advice, Latrice. I think sometimes in today's generation with the with the some of the things that we're talking about, that each generation doesn't put up with certain things, they're also not always being aware of 
why it may why it matters to maybe go to the interview without the twist. I am saying some people don't even get that game. Like that's the nuance that that people are not preparing to play how they may have to play. That is that is that is that is putting the onus on that person that's, that's thinking about joining that corporation to research and ask questions about that corporate culture. Right, that's not something that when I got out of school, I wasn't asking about the corporate culture, right? I was asking about the benefits and the salary. But now right. you actually ask the culture, right? You ask about what are your DEIB efforts, right? What is your what's your corporate makeup when it comes to, you know, the different diverse diversity um, perspectives that we rate, right? If you ask those questions, you'll understand, right? And if you want, if somebody says, okay, you know, we're five percent black, ten percent Hispanic. In Indian, if you want to walk into that culture, that's something that you're doing with your eyes wide open. Then that next coaching becomes when you get in there and you start facing those situations, okay, let's talk about the company culture that you already know about, and it's a choice. Montoya, right? Do I stay and try to fight this, or do I go somewhere else? There's, I can only speak of engineering and technology because that's what I've been doing, right? There's hundreds of thousands of jobs that you don't have to fight those systemic issues in those Fortune 500 com- companies that made those promises, right? right. But if so you choose you need coaching every day. You say you need coaching every day, you think? Oh, yeah. If you're, if, you're, if, you're, if you're used to thinking that the world is great and is wonderful and you walk into some of these traditional IBM, Accenture's, Ernst & Young, those kind of companies, it's a culture shock. It's a shock to you because it's not what you're used to day to day, and you need – that's why people have professional coaches now, and you need a mentor to help you get through those situations every day. So, when I was coming so, up, I just had to deal with it. <laughs> right, right. So here's so – here's, so now this is what I'm talking about. So the game that I just heard in your last conversation was this. So if you're thinking about someone that's new, that doesn't have you as a coach, right, but they're listening to this, I I wouldn't necessarily know to ask for the DEI, the DEI um, initiatives. So that's what I'm talking about, yep. the game specifically. Montoya, I got a list of questions that candidates should ask about an organization's diversity and efforts. Let's, talk, let's do it. That's what I'm trying to talk about. That's a- <laughs> talk about those questions, but then you have to talk about that person, and let's talk about what's being real here. Many times they won't do that because they feel like I won't get the job, and because of the financial constraints that we deal with as a race because of disparities that exist, we're going to take that job regardless because it's paying me $10,000 more than I'm currently making, or it's doing this, or it's doing that, or I'm unemployed because we know that black people have a higher unemployment rate than others. So that disparity causes us to overlook many times those red flags that are waving big time. So I, I don't, I, so, so, so I guess maybe I'm not being clear here. Like, for example, I got a friend who made it to a board. I was hoping he would call in. And so I was hoping to hear his specific story for somebody wanted to be like him, what that included. So, I'm not I'm not against fighting and changing. That's not I mean I just feel like that's kind of the dialogue we're having. I'm more focused on the specifics of somebody who wants to do it. And I'm not cuz plenty of people don't. I love like I feel like great advice to say, "Hey, there's other companies where you won't have to deal with these things." 
However, there are some people like my friend who absolutely wants to be a who always wanted to be a board member, and he actually pulled that shit off. And so, y'all have plenty of game as corporate coaches. Like I, as I hear London say, "Hey, have you a coach?" There, are, I would say there are some people out there that are choosing to want to navigate that ladder, and they're going to be faced with all the issues y'all are talking about, who don't know to have a coach. Hopefully, they heard it today. So, have a coach, so Montoya. What what happens with us a lot of times? Like you have to be intentional. So your friend likely said, "This is my intention." And these are the steps that I'm going to take to get to that point. What I do sometimes when I coach people, and I'm actually going to be speaking this coming weekend in, in New York, and I'm having them go through an exercise, and it's, it's planning their career five years forward. I'm going to have them write out, this is what I want. This is my education in five years. This is the position in five years. This is the salary in five years. All of this five years forward. And then they plot out the steps that I need to take to get there. Who do I need to meet? Who do I need in my network? What classes do I need to take? What so can we, do I need? So for we this need conversation, can we, add, can we add how they lay out those steps and give them game on navigating the DEI part? Like that's this conversation. Like, okay, here are your steps. Here's what you're up against for somebody who wants to do it. It is a. It probably is a process of this is what you really want at this corporation. You may have to consider this or, oh, I went through this today. I got this thing passed over. If you're doing that on your own, obviously you're going to fade out. But for somebody, you, you, you shouldn't say like the nuance of the but see, I think you want black and white and it's gray. I don't know that I'm asking for black and white. I'm just saying that. I I feel like you, you want step one, step two, step no, three, not, step no, four. No, no, step one, step two. I want to talk about the actual person. Like again, I wish my friend would have come on. Like he could give say, look, this is what I had to do. But you know, I'm not saying. I'm every, is, so okay. I'm telling you the generic version of what he did because it's what I've had to do. It's what Yolanda's had to do. It's okay. plotting. It's being intentional knowing what your next, what you want your next step to be instead of saying, I just want a higher-paying job. Often when I coach people, that's what they tell me. I just want okay. a higher-paying job. Well, what okay. kind of higher-paying job do you want? In what industry? What, what is it that you want to do in that higher-paying job? So they have to become intentional, and, and they have to clarify what it is that they want for themselves. Once they get that clarification, then they can begin to map out what they specifically want from that role in that right. industry so and then out. determine. Right. So I map what? it out and I tell you I want these things and I'm a millennial that's used to being able to show up as I am. And so and so, if that's a millennial who comes to me and said, I want a role where I can be authentically who I am, I'm going to say, well, you don't want to work for, for companies that have more of a traditional background. So let's say you wouldn't go to American Express wanting to walk in authentically as yourself. I'll mm-hmm. say you want to go to these kinds of companies with these kinds of, of leaders who can allow you to be who you authentically are. Okay. But and so, then, so this is what I'm saying. Those are the nuances that you have to right. navigate so here's that oftentimes we ignore. Right. So but I'm, I'm not, but we're not having a conversation about whether we're ignoring. We, I'm a candidate that wants okay. to do it. So let's, 
So yeah, to forget whether I'm not talking about we in general. I'm talking about somebody who wants to climb the ladder. So now okay. my, I come to you now and says, okay, I want to do that American Express. I've always wanted to be this specific thing. What you and Yolanda tell me what some specifics that I may have to deal with, and I'm young at this. I'm not because, like you said, Yolanda, you had to do deal with it yourself. So I now have the the experts like you and Latrice that prepare me or help me through this. What might this be? So the first thing, go ahead on Yolanda. The first thing that I tell um, um, people that are getting ready to start their careers and they want to go into Fortune 500 companies, if you go that route, the first thing you're going to have to do is find a champion and a mentor within that company. If you don't do that, you're lost. That champion and that mentor within that company can help you with your career plan and your career goals. They don't have to be black, and they don't have to be of the same gender. But you've got to find somebody in that company that's going to agree to help you get get the steps done to make you, to help you climb the corporate ladder. You can't do it by yourself. You can't do it with just outside help. Somebody within that company that knows, that's been there, and has done that should become your best friend, and you have to seek those people out. All so how do I approach him now, as a right? black person, maybe not finding my person? Now, think about that. We'll forget the last break, and I'll let y'all respond to, again, you can give me game on how to approach it, right? Because my peers easily get those mentors. I need you as coaches to help me figure out how to get those mentors. Well, you know, maybe I do have to go to the bar after work. Like, these are the things that I'm talking about yep. that for example, was game that I was given while in the military. I'm looking for y'all to give the game to somebody who wants to climb this ladder. That's that's the, for the individual as a part of this conversation. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, where all I ask is that you think. Hey, where did you get that hat and T-shirt? I like that. Oh, I got this at moneymotivation.com. It's fresh, right? Yes, and I love the message on it, too. You are the hustle, huh? That's what the shirt says. I am the hustle. They embody the entrepreneurial spirit, and what I like the most, it's more than a brand. It's a lifestyle for those who want to put in the work and expect to have the final things in life. I also follow them on Instagram. Check this post out. If you believe money is the root of all evil, you're using it wrong? Or how about this one? Excuses made $0 an hour. I like those. What's their IG? At moneymotivation.co. But do they have any ladies gear? Yes, you're going to love the clothing line they got for the ladies. Matter of fact, pull up their website, moneymotivation.com, and I'm going to get you a few things so we can both look like money. Everywhere I go, go. And everywhere I be, be. I don't even talk. LNG Technology Services, we are your industry leader in aircraft and heavy equipment repair services. In commercial business for over 15 years, LNG technicians have over 150 years of equipment-specific knowledge and are known industry-wide for returning worn-out, broken, and overused ground support equipment back to the user in working better than new conditions. For a service job done right at a value unparalleled in the industry, contact LNG Technology Services at 478-781-4860. Again, for a service job done right, that number is 478 781 
4860. LNG Technologies is a Mental Dialogue Gold member and proud sponsor of the Mental Dialogue community. Again, if you have a product or service you want to get out to the smartest audience in all of radio, please give me a call at 404-604-9477. This morning's discussion question, after George Floyd has corporate America kept his promise to black Americans, special guest Shalanda Hughes, special guest co-host Latricia Ross, both consultants in the corporate America. And in the first hour, we highlighted the fact that unfortunately, most of these companies did give lip service. There are some companies that are doing well, um, but the majority have only, as they said, acted with performative action. But if you are the individual who is looking to navigate the corporate ladder, I have two experts that can, in a sense, assist with that, and I'm looking for a dialogue into what that looks like. And it reminds me, as I mentioned, the go-to-the-bar thing. I remember I went to the Air Force Academy and the the Air Force is always, quote, unquote, trying to increase the number of black pilots, if you will. And that number has been looming at about 2% for a lot of years, had trouble increasing it. And I remember I was fortunate enough when I was at the academy, our squadron, we had one of the few, um, our, our commander, if you will, was actually black. And I remember him setting us down. I didn't want to be a pilot, but a few of my friends did. And I remember the, the, him saying, he says, when you're going through pilot school, he says, here's, and this was like an example of a game that I'm asking for from you, from you ladies. And he was telling the guys that were wanting to be pilots. He was like, he's like, here's your issue. Sometimes that's partly some of that unconscious stuff that you, t- you talked about Latrice. But here was the other part of it. He says, when you go to pilot school, he says, based on culture, it's very common that, you know, you'll be one of black, one, you know, one of one in that class, or maybe two of you at the most in that class of pilot, you know, pilot trainees. And he says, he says, I absolutely understand how culturally you probably ain't really trying to hang out with the instructors. It just ain't our style. It ain't our thing. He says, he says, here's how something plays out. He goes, you're on a pilot evaluation and maybe you you slightly don't do as well as you should or whatever. He says, for you, you're going to be graded just as is. He says, for one of the guys that's been at at the bar drinking with them every day, and having a good time with them, they might get that little bump. He says, outside looking in, you're going, it's because I'm black and because they're white. And he's like, it's the relationship. And he was saying, you have to build those same relationships versus just doing what you normally would do and go home and study after the class. That's the nuance of the game that he gave. That's what I think you as corporate coaches can give anybody who wants to navigate and possibly become a board member like Abari Williams. That's the game we can give them in this last 10 minutes. So Montoya, um, there's a book um, that I read years ago and it's called Empowering Yourself, The Organizational Game Revealed. And although it's an older book, it's still very much relevant and it actually um, indicated that your career success is based on three components. 
and he called and it, he gave the acronym or the acrostic pie, and it was performance, image, and exposure. And the the irony of this is is that this book runs counter to what we were told about hard work. Um, in in his book, and and honestly, it, it still really exists, and it kind of goes to what you were saying. In this book, performance counts for ten percent of your success. Your image, your personal brand, counts for thirty percent, but your exposure. How well, you know, if your name is known within an organization, accounts for 60% of your success. And so while we we are spending time heads to the, you know, heads down, grinding it out, doing yeah, excellent work, working twice right. as hard, right. we miss that exposure. Right. Being the best performers, because that's what we think it is, because that's all we've been told. Right. And so that's the dialogue that... I'm assuming, you know, my friend who's a boy, he's actually had surgery. I just found out from him. That's why he wasn't able to come on. But, um, but um, yeah, that's the kind of game I would expect, you know, because we all, we absolutely know it's going to be different for, you know, the six CEOs you pointed right. out. Even even Frank, whatever, well, I'm sorry, I've got his name now, but the, the cut I played, he says, my path is still probably very different than everyone else's. So yeah. I want to get out the game to the different path. And again, I understand that the path ain't no guarantee, but the more you hear 60% exposure versus you thinking it's your yeah. hard work, you got it up on the, the the black kid who doesn't have a coach, doesn't have a mentor, you know, male or female, who's trying to work their ass off because they haven't been given the game you just mentioned right now. Go ahead, Yolanda. Yeah, I mean, I, I was talking to a brother at my company the other day, and he was he was explaining to the group that he was a top performer, he thought he was just, you know, the bee's knees. And the same kind of promotion, he got denied his promotion. And he heard that his boss said he just wanted the number because he didn't know who he was. Right? So we've got to get out of that mindset that work harder, work 10% harder, right, and start getting out there. Nobody, well, I can't say nobody. I don't really like those corporate functions where you have to sit around, you know, and, you know, yeah, have one glass of wine. Well. <laughs> why? Why they get blocked up? But you have to go to them, right? You have to go to the to the things that the corporation is throwing. That's where you meet the people, right? That's within the company that you can that you can befriend, right? To help you get up the ladder. You can't sit back in your cubicle, right, and just say I'm gonna work really really hard and somebody's gonna notice. The game has just changed. Right. So if I go to those functions, any game, if I'm at the functions, any any insight on how to even do how to even make the relationships because that's not easy so you know that's uncomfortable for on both sides of it right so what is yeah, how does, yeah. what does that even look like any any insight on that if you will so you got to be intentional with building your network like I, I do a class for a black erg of a major corporation and the first class that we do is a year-long cu- curriculum the first class we do is brand new and that's identifying what your personal brand is and what's your 30-second pitch to, identify, to let others know what your X factor is. Mm. About third, a third of the way through this, we talk about networking with intentionality and how do you build your network and, you, you know, the fact that you have to reciprocate, um, being intentional, okay. sending Christmas cards. I have a friend who does a newsletter every quarter that she sends out to her network on LinkedIn that's just updating them on what she's doing in her career and wanting to know what others are doing in their career. 
So it's doing these things to get, put yourself out there. And the third thing is, Yolanda mentioned mentors, but you need to look at a mentor as someone who can ultimately you can build a relationship with that will ultimately be your sponsor, meaning that I'm going to speak for you in the rooms that you aren't privy to yet. I'm going to be the person who helps put that chair at the table that we're preparing for you. So you take that mentorship relationship to the next level by building trust in what you can do and where you want to go, and then ultimately having those sponsors mention your name in those rooms that you aren't into yet. So, like, what you just said, it's like a gem to me, right, just in hearing it. It's a gem from this standpoint. Yeah, You know, everybody's told to get mentors, but if I didn't know – you see what I'm saying? Like, the, the gem of getting a mentor was what you just explained. So now you have to be even more strategic about your mentor, not just the person yep. who can help you navigate – so at the end of the day, if corporate America is what it is, but you want to navigate it, that's the skin. That's that's the conversation because naturally, if we were to do a great, in my opinion, if we're doing a great job for those who want to navigate this, right? If we're getting more because they've been taught how to navigate better, that's effectively going to make some change as well. And we know, like you said, with the younger generation, it will naturally get better. But it won't naturally get better if enough of them haven't been given the, the insight to getting a mentor, the insight to getting a coach, coach. You see what I'm saying? Specifically for them as black people. Yeah, like the brother and that so, I just told you about, right? He's right. He just thought, right? And then it's, it's important. Like I say, that's the part of corporate America that you have to be willing to do. Otherwise, you won't grow, right? And, like, those meetings and those functions and the corporate outings and bringing your families and all of that, you just have to learn how to get through it and grin and bear it, right? But a lot of you don't make the mistake of getting through it by drinking too much, right, or, or stuff like that, right? It's just stuff you have to figure out. I've got to go to this meeting. I've got to talk to these people, and I've got to get to know them and let them get to know me. But you don't have to stay forever, right? Like if it's, if it's a three-hour event, stay for an hour, make sure you see all the pertinent people, and then you leave, right? But it's very important to have that mentor who can also help you identify that champion, right? And like I said, you find those mentors by going to the meetings, by hanging out, you know, in the break room and things like that, people that you just naturally gravitate towards that seem to have an interest in you. And most people if you ask them, will you be my mentor, they won't say no. And here's a good – remember something I was told. We only got a couple of minutes. But I remember even as a military office, officer, um, you know, we were obviously a lot of African-Americans at the, if you will, the lower ranks or whatever, but um, less at the officer rank, if you will. But I also remember saying, hey, if you're in a um, – you know, we would call it squadrons in the Air Force – but if you're in a specific squadron, you may be one black, you know, you may be the only black officer or one of two or whatever. But I remember our mentor said, I didn't, I didn't want to force or whatever. So I didn't, you know, navigate a career, if you will. But for those wanting to, I also remember the mentors always mentioning this. It was like, yes, it's easy for you to mess up as the only black person. However, the flip side is, you can do things to be more easily noticeable because you are black. And that's a mm-hmm. dope perspective for doing like some of the things y'all are suggesting. You or getting known for this thing that's more exposure, not necessarily simply performance. You get remembered easier because you are the only black. That's a dope dialogue for someone who wants to become a general or a colonel in the military. They probably got given that game 
versus you could, you're going to stand out. Be careful all the time because if you're black, you're going to stand out. They gave us the flip side of that game. So that's, again, kind of just where I was pushing the dialogue to when it came to the individual. So I hope y'all can respect the pushback and the dialogue. Thank y'all so much for this conversation. I don't know, if Yolanda, you have any public information you want to share, but if you do, share it at this time. Thank you, Queen, for being on this morning. Um, thank you, thank you for having me. I don't, I don't think I have any public information to share at this it's time. Only right? I think I gave you an opportunity. I think if this is absolutely, yeah. Great dialogue, right? I'm, I'm happy to come back anytime, anytime. Thank you for having me. All right, thank you, Latrice. We'll see y'all next Saturday for the Intellectual Outcast. All I ask is that you think. If you're in Atlanta, Friday is the Mental Dialogue Live Experience. Our second one back. Every third Friday at Urban Grind, we are discussing black fathers are needed, period. Urban Grind, go to mentaldialogue.com to find out more. All I ask is that you think.